0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
1: Hi everybody, this is Brady Hoke, and if I know one thing, it's bad college football. That's why I'm here to tell you about the Shutdown Fullcast, a college football podcast so bad that it's mostly not even about football. Every Wednesday you can listen to Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, and Ryan Nanny Ramble about grocery stores, John Gruden's secrets to everlasting wealth, and unsolved murders. The Shutdown forecast. We're very sorry. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. Ben is going to join us midway through as we're going to talk about the one subject that our two callers do not want to talk about anymore, and we made them. The Paul George Trey from Indiana. We've got Whitney Medworth from SBNation.com, longtime Pacers fan. And making her debut, Caitlin Cooper from SB Nation's Pacers site, Indy Cornrows. We talk about what Paul George meant to Indiana, what he could have done differently as part of his exit. And, of course, we talk about how the Pacers handled this situation so poorly and what do they do from here. We are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Uh, You can check us out on SBNation.com backslash NBA. You can also check us out on iTunes subscribe to the limited upside nba podcast and leave us a review nice or mean we appreciate the feedback either way a number of things that we have changed in this show have come directly from your feedback including the logo and the theme song we also appreciate if you send us any questions that may be asked in the show you can tweet us at limited underscore upside or you can email me at MikePreta at spnation.com You can also find the podcast on Spotify, on Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. So, Stitcher, all that stuff. So, please check us out uh, and enjoy this episode of the Limited Upside podcast on the Paul George trade with two diehard Indiana Pacers fans, Whitney Medworth and Caitlin Cooper. Welcome back to Limited Upside. I'm Mike Prada, and on the line, I have two people who are probably tired as hell of talking about the topic that we are making them talk about. Uh, but we've dragged them in anyway. Uh, Paul George, no longer an Indiana Pacer. We could think of nobody better to dial up than Whitney Medworth from SBNation.com, the assistant editor, and uh, making her debut on the Limited Upside podcast, Caitlin Cooper from Indy Cornrows, SB Nation's Pacer site. So... Folks, how are we feeling now? Four days later, after Paul George goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder, have we come to terms with this?
2: Uh, I'm just glad that it's over. Like it was already dragging on too long. Would have been like only two weeks, but it felt like two years. I'm just glad something happened. Like I'm sure we'll get into the if it was good, if it was bad, whatever. Uh, But at this point, I'm just I'm just glad it's over and we can we can begin to move on.
1: Yeah. We'll talk a little bit later about whether this was a good trade or not and the lead up to all this. But, you know, Caitlin, I'm curious as a Pacers fan, you know, one of the things I've kind of learned from being around Whitney a lot is that there's sort of a little bit of a different opinion of Paul George locally than there is nationally. I think there's a lot of dynamics at play there that people who are listening from a national perspective may not understand. Like, As of right now, like what in general is like the Indiana feeling about Paul George, the person, uh, both how he handled this breakup and how he handled the last few years? Like is what is the sense from Indiana right now?
3: Well, I think I actually might be a little bit of an outlier on that. Generally, I think that there's quite a bit of of rage honestly. Like I think people were ready for him to be gone. A lot of the stuff I get in my mentions is that he handled it terribly. And people thought a lot of the season I got all the time that he was lazy, that they should have traded him at the deadline. So I mean, I think I'm a little bit going to differ there because I think there was dynamics into why you might've seen some of those lazy defensive plays more so than it was just Paul George coming out there with the idea of, you know, I'm not going to give effort on this possession, but To me, he did what a franchise player does. I mean, I think a lot of times we'll see players that kind of want to have a short list or might want to force their way out a little bit earlier. And I'm just not really sure that the Pacers were ever completely okay with that reality. I mean, two summers ago, Larry Bird saying, well, Paul George doesn't run this team. And they're trying to have him play a position that he's obviously not interested in playing right after he comes back from a serious injury. And then last at the deadline, he's out of the loop completely on trade talks, which he Said that he wanted to be looped in on. So I'm just not sure how much they really wanted to have the idea of a franchise player that is kind of more in on the decision making. But I think I'm more okay with it than the vast majority of people
1: are when do you agree. I mean, like, cause again, I think it's, there's sort of two layers to this, right? Like Kalen said, there's a lot that the Pacers, I don't think, handled this poorly, both not just from the trade, but sort of in how they treated him. But, you know, Paul George has also said some conflicting things, too, right?
2: Yeah, Paul George has always been a little bit of a guy that kind of says whatever fits the situation. And I think Pacers fans have probably seen that happen um, throughout his whole career. I mean, the most recent example was he had the uh, charity softball game right before this all came out. And it, I mean, it makes sense that at that charity softball game, he had to say the right things about, you know, wanting to be a pacer. And I don't, I don't fault him for that, but the whole gray area comes uh, from the different reports. Did he tell Pritchard before the charity softball game? And that was all for show. Did he do all that and then tell Pritchard after like, there's a lot of weirdness in there about what went down. And to be honest, that seems pretty Paul George to me um, for that to have been sketchy and weird. Uh, I do agree that the Pacers made plenty of mistakes and I, I am in that boat as well, but um, it just seems like it was pretty messy all the way around uh, from both sides. So,
1: so when you say pretty Paul George, what does that mean?
2: Um, he, he just says whatever he feels at the moment. Um, and he got better at his better at it as his career went on, but the dude will say whatever um, he wants to say. Like, one of the examples I always go back to was uh, in the, I don't know what playoffs it was. Like, Caitlin can help me remember. Maybe 2013, I'm not sure. He um, went to the media and said that he had a concussion without talking to the trainers about it.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah,
3: that. that was in that Heat series yeah. when he got kneed by Dwayne Wade, and afterwards he's saying that, he had like double vision or something, but they never yeah. took him out of the game because he didn't tell the trainer.
2: Yeah, like that's the kind of stuff that this that this guy does, and it it like, there's tons of examples like that where it's like Paul, you know, what are you what are you saying?
3: Yeah, I will I'll agree about the charity softball game to an extent, but at the same time, some of the things that he said, you had the impression that he was what he was saying was trying to say the right thing, but I honestly think some of that could have been genuine too because he touched on well, I really wanted to win a title for the Pacers, or I really want to be able to be to compete here. Like, I think that that's genuine from his side. I just don't think that he knows that he saw a path to getting there. And yeah, yeah. My, there is some shadiness too, about when, well, how much did Kevin Pritchard and he discuss? And obviously Kevin Pritchard says that the whole time that Paul George was on board with, I want to get back to the Eastern conference Finals. So if that is indeed what Paul George said behind closed doors, I can see some of the frustration there, but then again, you brought to him Danilo Gallinari and drew holiday. So like, did you really think that was going to put you on par with the Cavs? I mean, I can understand the frustration if he seemed completely on board and then changed course, but to me, there was no clear yeah. path to get back to the Eastern conference finals. So,
2: yeah, my take with with Paul has always been that he did love Indiana. He did want to be a Pacer for his career. He did want to win here, but he wasn't going to throw his career away trying to make it happen. And I can respect yeah. that, and I get that. And that's that's always been my take with him is that he he did love the Pacers. He wanted to be good here, but he wasn't he wasn't going to waste any more of his prime if if it didn't look good. And we can all admit that it, the future didn't look good. Right. Yeah, I, I, it was messy on both sides.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is underrated in all this and that people don't quite understand is that Paul George was always the little brother of the team kind of coming up. And you know, he's drafted 10th overall. Uh, he was not supposed to be this big star. And even as his stardom rose, uh, he was never really the leader of the team. They had David West. You know, he was the, the main guy in the locker room. And I think this happens sometimes to a lot of these star players is that, you know, at a certain point, they have to not only be the best player on the team, but also the face and the leader of the franchise. I think you saw this with Jimmy Butler a little bit in Chicago. And some guys are just not wired to be that. And for a while, I think the Pacers didn't want him to be that. And they had David West to do that stuff. So it was almost like he was able to almost mature into this star without having to kind of take the full responsibility that a lot of these players have. And then once David West left and left by the way in not great fashion, you know, with with uh, him taking the pay cut, with him being upset at the Roy Hibbert stuff and all that. I think and then of course he had the injury, but I think also these last couple years have sort of proven in a way Indiana's point that George is a great great player, but maybe with if he's also your leader, your franchise can be a little aimless. And again, not Paul George's fault that you know, they fired, they let Frank Vogel go, they brought in Nate McMillan, they signed Al Jefferson, Monte Ellis, like all these bad moves that they've made since his knee injury. but I, I just feel like that was almost the turning point was when they let David West go, and then it was really Paul George's team. I think that's where it maybe start to get get a little messy.
2: Yeah, I think the like in terms of that, the biggest takeaway I've come with this is that like Paul George is the perfect number two guy on a great team. Like, we wanted him to be the franchise guy here, wanted him to be the best pacer ever, et cetera, et cetera. But like when you really look at it, he's a number two, and he he'll he's a great number two, and that's not his fault. It's not a knock on him, but I don't think he's I don't think he's wired and he's meant to carry a team and be the number one guy um especially for a championship team.
1: Well, I think that's sort of what ended up happening. And now Whitney, I know you're conflicted because you're really excited about Russ. Oh my god. <laughs> to Russ and yeah. uh you know, Russ and Paul George together, that's something that you're really excited about. Um but it it was still interesting. Now, this is a question I often ask Whitney Caitlin when uh we talk about Paul George like if you're you're a Pacers fan and and I know you maybe you're not coming from this the same way because I think you're, you're not necessarily feeling as much like Paul George handled this incorrectly, but like what would you have liked to have seen Paul George do differently these last six months?
3: Well, you know I guess ideally, like I said, if it's true that he was saying to their faces behind closed doors yeah i'm I'm all in on this, then hopefully you would he'd be a little bit more honest just from the end of the summer. But given that reports are saying that clear back in February, when he met with Herb Simon, that he was saying, if I don't see a path to win a title, I want to play for the Lakers. I don't really, I believe that they were caught off guard, but I don't understand why they were caught off guard. So in that respect, yeah, maybe behind closed doors, you handle a little differently from a basketball standpoint. I can see some of the arguments about the effort here and there, but even for me, I think, and I wrote about this, sorry about the shameless plug, but, I see some comparisons. I see some comparisons. I wrote about the Olympics last year being a microcosm for Paul George. And what you noticed last a summer ago is that when he was surrounded by defensive players coming off the bench, he was all around better. And when he was coming in as a starter with Kyrie Irving and Carmelo Anthony and DeMarcus Cousins, and the defense was so shaky, he even spoke out about that at the Olympics about his teammates and how they needed to man up on defense. And, I think he's just better suited in a lineup where defense is really going to be emphasized and then he can focus on his offense more. And I think you'll see that some in Oklahoma City when you can put Roberson on the opponent's best defender and Paul George is, you know, free to focus on what he needs to focus on. But I mean, I think that a lot of the time the defense Monte is Monte. Jeff Teague's defense was much more of a liability than I think people in Indiana wanted to accept that it was. Miles Turner's still learning, and Thaddeus Young's good at playing passing lanes and getting steals, but he falls asleep on the weak side a lot. So when Paul George wasn't in, the defense was rudderless. And when he was in, I think there was a lot of frustration there that led him to be like, okay, well, if no one else is going to defend on this possession, you know, why should I? There's one pos- there's one possession that I vividly remember in Chicago where he just stands there while Rondo gets two offensive rebounds and the Bulls end up scoring on a third opportunity. And I think, you know, effort plays like that is kind of back to what you're talking about. Like, you'd want the team leader to be showing more effort than that consistently on every possession, but I understand why he got there. Like, I think that was a symptom of what the real problem was, which was the fact that their roster – construction the last two years most of what they've done just hasn't made sense they have a ton of non-shooting guards and plotters and they want to try to outrun and outscore people with leaky defense like that math just isn't going to add up
1: you would say effort wise maybe you would have liked to seen a little more and I, I can understand that uh Whitney I'll pose the question back to you like what should Paul George have done differently in these last six months
2: uh my only thing is that if he wanted to leave that's fine I get it I'm fine with it I do feel like the like insistent leak that he only would play for one team hurt the Pacers because people would have, people still wanted to trade for him, even though they thought it was a rental. Like, can you imagine if people thought they could actually keep him? Like it would have been way better off for the Pacers. So the the rabbit hole that we went down because he would only go for one team is is kind of my biggest complaint. Um, because I don't fault him for leaving, and I don't know what went on behind closed doors. I believe, you know, that he said, you know, I want to go if this isn't going to work. But the 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 insistence that it was only the Lakers, only the Lakers, only the Lakers, a that doesn't make sense. If you want to win, why are you going to the Lakers? And, and B, it just it didn't help. The pay- <laughs> well, okay, but yeah, fair. no, I know what I, you're saying. I will, saying. Get, I will, I will give, I will get behind that conspiracy. But um, you know, if it, there's a car horn going off beside me. I'm sorry. No, this is
1: this, if, is, good. Uh, this is this is the air it, horn if, that Paul George is sending in protest yeah. of what you're saying.
2: So, so if he wanted to go to the Lakers, that's fine. I just feel like he didn't have to make it so clear and have make it that much harder on the Pacers to, to help
1: to get rid of him. Well, that that makes sense. Is there anything that he could have done differently? Maybe uh, just in the community, in like his social media or something to make it like a cleaner breakup? Because um, you know, I know. That was something that I heard from a lot of Pacers fans, and those are the sorts of things I think that happen any time a star player leaves. But like, you know, just something to sort of show more appreciation. I or is that just now that we think about this after the fact, like, was that asking too much of him?
3: Well, I think that I mean, to a certain extent the bridge was already burned. So like if you write something last week on his Instagram, I mean that, that seemed pretty half hearted what he put out there, those couple lines, but if he had written something more I'm not sure that would have helped the issue. And beyond that, like Gordon Hayward writes that long letter in the playroom yesterday and I haven't read it, (laughs) but if you're Utah, would you rather have, would you rather have the ghost written letter? Or would you rather have the fact that at least the Pacers got something for Paul George? I'm not really thrilled with the, you know, the return, but at least they got something in return. Would you rather, you know, to me, I would rather at least have a trade package than have Paul George in a year from now being like, oh, well, thank you so much, Indiana.
1: I'm agonizing over this decision after a great pitch, from last-minute pitch from the Pacers, and I'm not actually making my decision. Uh, I'm going to make them wait six hours for the Players' Tribune article to be finished or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know if there's anything that he could have done, but I don't know when you do disagree.
2: No, I, I agree, and I think Paul has always been um, pretty respectful of Indy. I mean, if you think back to a year ago, when he was on the Olympic team, he wore his Pacers hat everywhere, and yes, that was part of a lids deal. Like, I get mm-hmm. why he did that, but I get that. But I mean, he still did it. Um, he still rep the Pacers. I, you know, we can take his faults, but you know, he was pretty good to Indiana, and I'm, I'm not mad at him for for any of that.
1: Real quick, before we talk about uh, the trade package and all that, I, you know, as you sit right here, like where does he rank in franchise history among players? Obviously, I would think Reggie Miller is much more memorable. There are all those ABA teams. You know, is he a top three pacer, top five pacer? Where where do you guys see him?
2: Are you asking uh, with your heart or with your head? Because I think those are two different questions.
1: What what is it with your head, and then what is it with your hearts?
2: I I do think he's the best pacer overall.
1: Better than Reggie Miller.
2: I think he's the most
1: talented pacer. I mean, but if you
2: think of like best pacer, most memorable, most franchise changing, it's obviously Reggie. But like in terms of of player talent, it's Paul George.
1: Huh. All right. Well, I mean, I think that's probably true. I mean, I don't know if Reggie ever had seasons as good as Paul George. Um, But, you know. Paul, Reggie was there for a long time and then there're also the ABA teams. Uh I'm just curious, you know, do you think that like time will fade and that it'll be he'll be higher or lower? Like do you think that, you know, wounds will heal and we'll remember him more? I mean, I'm curious like also like what number are you retiring? Are you retiring 13 or 24?
2: He's not get He's not getting a number retired. You don't think so? <laughs> no, no. No, he's done. It's gone.
3: No. Holy.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah.
3: I think that, I think that that gut punch speech a couple weeks ago is going to go a long way to altering the way that people remember Paul George. I think that while Kevin Pritchard was being honest, I think that hmm. was also very calculating to put it out there that we we've been, we've been punched. This is all on him. And now therefore don't criticize what we get in return because our hands were tied. Wow. This, this is what he did to us. And they even, you know, there was even a little bit of shade thrown at Tamika's retirement jersey to make a catch I mean, yeah that you can see if you find the video Whitney might be able to speak a little bit more about that but man, I I don't think he's going to be remembered as fondly as he probably yeah I been. think that wow. I
2: think that if you know wow. there's a certain subset of Twitter that uh you know I think I think that Caitlin and I belong to that will always you know respect and know how good Paul was I think the general idea though he will not be remembered fondly, and, and his legend will
1: go away quickly. Wow, that's amazing to me. If that is the case, I mean, he he was there for seven years, six years. They made th- two conference finals, and he grew up. Wow, I mean, I guess uh, we'll see about that. But that would be, I would be amazed if they don't retire his number eventually. But I don't know Indiana like you guys do. So, anyway, w- I don't.
2: Yeah, I I would be shocked if they did.
1: Wow. All right. Well, listen. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about the trade in a second, uh, but first, uh, a word from Seat Geek.
0: This show is sponsored by SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and that's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to that action for the best possible value. I have SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way that I've found to buy tickets. I used it literally two weeks ago. I'm going to see my favorite European soccer team play here in America against it happens to be the city that I'm from in Philadelphia, so I'm seeing Swansea play against the Philadelphia Union, and I got those tickets and the great experience of buying them through the app via SeatGeek. So I appreciate that. My SeatGeek's designed to make your ticket buying experience even easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. It basically does the work for you. And you get to have the most bang for your buck because SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed like we mentioned before. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with the confidence you deserve. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, sports and concerts to comedy and theater. It's not just European soccer games like me. I'm a nerd. That's just how that goes. So we want you to use this. We want you to use it right away. The best of all is listeners of the Limited Upside podcast can get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SBNation today. That promo code is SBNation for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Are you both in Indiana right now?
2: I am,
3: yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super hot out there.
3: I-, I figured Whitney was probably. Maybe you should go eat some chili with peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
2: wait, were you on the uh, that side or not? Oh,
3: I was definitely okay, on yeah. that side. That all that all started because somebody outside of the Midwest told my sister that it was weird, and I was like, "This is weird." Yeah. So I I had that poll on Twitter and then everybody confirmed that yeah, we were weird and I was yeah. just, I was shocked by that development. I had some
2: friends that that don't live in in the Midwest. Like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, what are you talking about? How do you eat chili without peanut butter? Peanut <laughs> sandwich. What?
3: And that that was regular lunchtime yeah. cafeteria food at my high <laughs> oh school. My so. We did not crazy. grow up like Normal this. I Normal mean, East
1: Coasters do not understand this. You
2: guys don't do that either. <laughs> nope. not
1: not nope. On the East Coast. Nope. I have never. Um, had chili without a peanut butter sandwich. Really? Wow. That is such a random yeah. grouping of food. I think it's just normal
3: behavior. Like, my, my sister was talking about it, and she's like, yeah, I just made chili, and I got sandwiches ready, and her boss just thought it was yeah. bizarre, and I was just shocked that this is our, bizarre behavior. Our producer behavior. Miles
0: over here is blown
1: away, just like <laughs> Wait, yeah. hey, Miles, what, what are you thinking about this? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
2: It's, in, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like, how could two things that are that
1: good be bad together? Right. Yeah, but the, but that's just...
3: Well, think about mm. it this way. They make peanuts with, like, chili seasoning that's true. on them. So, I mean, it's not that far. Yeah, but it this is, is
1: like saying, this is like saying, why not have two ball-dominant superstars <laughs> on the same team? <laughs> like, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't doesn't mesh. Uh, the, these um,
2: these two mesh. Like, like Russell Westbrook and Paul George. These are going to mesh.
1: Ooh, that's good. We're back, and we have a special guest joining us, Ben. I'm not that special. Thanks, Mike. You are very special, and thanks for actually showing up to this podcast. <laughs> it's really nice of you, the podcast that you co-host. Uh, we got Whitney Medworth <laughs> from SBNation.com. We've got Caitlin Cooper from Indy Cornrows, SB Nation's Pacer site. Let's talk about the return that Paul George got, uh, yielded via Kevin Pritchard. Um, first reactions, Whitney and then Caitlin, when you saw Victor Oladipo and Denmanis Subbonus.
2: Um, I thought that Pacers fans are going to be unnecessarily happy because it's Oladipo and, uh, he's an Indiana guy. So that was my reaction on him. Uh, Sabonis, I think he has a little bit of upside and can be a good player. Um, so that's fine. But like overall we turned Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis and, the Pacers future sucks. So I'll let, I'll let Kate, I'll let Caitlin really dig into, to that one. My first reaction was what happened to being patient.
3: I mean, they they really <laughs> emphasized that they were going to be patient and take their time and they weren't going to take any bad deals. And, you know, now Gordon Hayward has chosen Boston. So what if they would have waited until today? Like what would Boston's pack trade package offer have been And even if you still didn't like whatever Boston was offering you, where was OKC's deal or Cleveland's interest going? They have a vested interest in retaining LeBron and Russell Westbrook. I just, I don't know where those other offers were going to go. So that only leads me to one of two things. Either Kevin Pritchard was making some sort of a emotional grudge trade to get Paul George out of the Eastern Conference or two, which is, I wrote a piece about this. You can still probably find it up on our front pages. I just think Victor Oladipo was a Kevin Pritchard type player. When he was first announced that he was going to be taking the promotion, he really emphasized high energy and passionate and plays with an edge, and could potentially switch on defense. And part of me just thinks that once he knew Victor Oladipo was was available for better or worse, that was the type of player he wanted, so he took it. I mean, I I don't really see why you want to take on that amount of cap space when you know that you're not going to be very good, and I don't know he's either. going to eat up about what I think about twenty percent and. Beyond that, his shot is really inconsistent on catch and shoots over last year with Westbrook. And I know that the usage there with Westbrook kind of skews some things with him, but that's kind of a double-edged sword even because if he has the ball in his hands more like he did in Orlando, that puts him in more of a position where he isn't the best decision maker. His drives can get a little out of control and he's a little bit turnover prone. So to me, plus slotting him next to Lance Stevenson, There's going to be fans in Indiana who are excited about that, but I'm not that excited
0: about that. I think Oladipo is somebody who um, the name recognition still intrigues people a little bit, maybe more so in the state of Indiana, like you mentioned with the whole Hoosier um, relationship. But when you watch him play, if you're an NBA purist, and like I've been on the record far too many times, probably saying how I don't think he's that good of a player. Yeah, I mean, but part of it's because he's been given the full gauntlet of, of opportunities from being the lead guard star in a young team to being the complimentary guard in a very specific role following Westbrook and now he's much more I think at least closer to where he was in Orlando uh, again like you just mentioned he's going to be <laughs> unless it's Lance he's the primary ball handler oh boy a Lance uh, depot backcourt it's
1: just like there's With no Darren Collison now yeah right? I mean Darren Collison who, sign thinks, me up for oh, that. Right, who thinks he's a,
0: a shooting guard as well um <laughs>
2: You guys are making me sick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just I I saw that trade come through. My my first thought was, well, it's good for Sabonis. He's going to have a lot more freedom. He actually might complement Turner well. Um, I I don't I don't think that actually might be the most intriguing part of the whole trade is watching two young, skilled, smart big men play together, um, or at least grow together. Um, But I mean, where there is, I think, a, a market inefficiency, which is in the Eastern Conference doesn't have a whole lot of good bigs most of the bigs want to play further away from the hoop um there's gonna sounds be a, like them <laughs> it sounds like them right but it, it seems like if they can be the best at that that's a, a place to capitalize um I, I look at old depot and i always think to myself he was supposed to be uh, a lead scorer in this league that's why he was drafted where he was he isn't that so what's the pivot is it to be that defensive stopper is it to put himself into more of a distributing ball handling role in which case he needs to get a lot better at that as well um I guess my biggest question for, for you all, forget the fans, um, aside from Turner, who what jersey is going to be bought? Uh, I should say, not forget the fans, specifically going into the fan base now. Who, yeah. who is that lead guy? Who goes on the season tickets right now? Well, Turner, but other than Turner. Other than Turner, I mean, yeah. Ma- I mean he, Miles, 20. but
2: like Indianapolis, and I, I'll include myself in this because I, I don't always make the best decisions. Um, Lance is like is God there for better or for worse. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and like, I know that
1: it's, yeah. yeah and calling. I know,
2: like, I know that it's problematic and I am aware that I feed the problematic parts of that, but like people love him. And so in terms of marketing, you just let go of Paul George, who I, you know, we said, I think's the greatest pacer of all time, but you've, you've got Lance and miles. People love them. You've got Oladipo. Now people love him. Like, in terms of trying to get people excited, they're in a good place. In terms of the team being good, I don't I don't know about that.
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing about that trade. So the thing the, – what people have to understand, first of all, is that there was Larry Bird, and then he left, and now Kevin Pritchard's there. So there are reports that Larry Bird turned down an offer at the deadline that would have included the Celtics-Brooklyn pick, obviously – that would have been better, but we don't know if Pritchard would have done that deal. What was going on there? The the element you guys were talking about, um, which is that they did this trade on June thirtieth, and if they had waited a few days and Boston had gotten Hayward, then Boston would have reengaged them on George. I mean, that was a timing thing. That's the only reason George is in a Celtic now. You know, they the hall is have... a lot bigger. What's that? Like the hall then becomes
0: a lot bigger. Like what they would have gotten for Paul George, given that they, that. Whatever the Celtics would have given to Para Hayward and George would have been larger than on Oladipo. Right. I right? think
1: the offer. I mean, you got you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the offer would have been something like one of Jay Crowder, or Avery Bradley, or maybe both, maybe Marcus Smart, and then a couple of the not the Brooklyn picks, but like some of the other picks. It was something like that, right?
3: Yeah. That's what it was. Right. Some of the yeah, they're middling picks, I think, coming from either Memphis yeah. or the Clippers.
1: And well then the other trade that near that I think we should talk about that reportedly was turned down at the ownership level was the three way trade with Cleveland Denver. Uh you know
3: That's that's the one that hurts to
1: me because if it's it's just a choice between
3: Gary Harris and Victor Oladipo, I don't don't really see where the choice was there because with Gary Harris, at least no matter what direction or what path they plan to go, he's malleable enough as a shooter. I think I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think he almost shot around 45% on catch and shoot threes, and he's a pretty effective cutter. So for me, whatever direction they take, he's going to fit that more seamlessly than what Victor Oladipo is going to. I mean, you're going to have to pay him coming off his rookie contract. So, I mean, he's going to take cap space too, but who would you rather be paying? I mean,
1: yeah, to, me, to me, I, I
3: don't really understand that. And maybe Cleveland not having a GM played into some of this, I mean, maybe they would have been able to get better return for Kevin Love if people actually knew who they were negotiating with. I don't I don't know how much that impacted it. But to me, Cleveland's interest and in OKC's offer was going to be here for quite some time and I just don't understand why they became so impatient with Boston. I mean, Age is gonna age, but still
2: And also Gary Harris fills your Indiana need too. Like it wasn't that hard. Well
1: that's true as well. <laughs> it's like that's a good point too.
2: Still, and and I think Trey I think Trey Lyles was in that mix too, right? So uh, I heard his name your, rumored.
3: Yep.
0: Yeah, I think it was
2: yeah, yeah, so you get like your Indiana guys and Gary Harris is better. Like what I that one is that one is a little strange to me.
0: Gary Harris has a defined NBA trait. He's mm-hmm. a scoring two-guard. I mean, he, he's, he's three gonna, years younger as well. He's younger, plays solid defense. I mean, not that Depot's defense is his issue, but yeah, it would have made more sense. Uh, I think there would be a much more optimistic tone if it was pairing Gary Harris and, and Turner as your front-court, back court associates for a little while to grow together, mm-hmm. but um, here we are. Uh, that, that Cavs point is pretty astute. Um, that's such a huge wrinkle, knowing that one of the biggest power players in the league, an NBA finalist, doesn't have a general manager and there's no one lined up right now with <laughs> yeah just gonna keep Guilty going builds on. didn't take the job <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah,
1: I, yeah. so i whitney what why did they go so fast like what what's the case for moving him on july on june 30th
2: maybe the deals weren't what what we think they were maybe they were never never as great as we thought um maybe there was reason to think gordon hayward was never going to boston i mean that's all i can think is that they had a different picture in their head or or we know something incorrectly because other than that, I mean, the deal was just better. So, I mean, that's really all I can think is that we don't know the full story or it was other people that pulled out of the deal. It wasn't the pacers that pulled out. I mean, that, that's the only kind of thing I can think about it.
1: That that may be it, you know, no question about it. And, Who knows what offers are really offers, and we go into this every year. Um, And certainly the fact that George had, again, as you had mentioned in the previous segment, had made his intentions very clear about going to L.A. I'm sure cooled the market to a degree that the Pacers didn't like. I mean, what do you you guys both think of the whole spite angle and also the whole let's move him out west instead of to an east contender? Do you think that had anything to do with it?
3: I hope not. I mean, I find that completely (laughs) ridiculous, quite honestly, because are the Pacers going to be – are the Pacers going to be equally good to Cleveland or Boston in the near future? I mean, I I just, I don't see why that even matters or why, why would you care? I mean, that could have been part of it. I mean, Kevin Pritchard seemed fairly, I mean, honest whenever he was talking about the whole gut punch thing, no matter how much I still don't understand why he was so taken aback by that when Paul George is out liking posts about going to Miami and retweeting posts about being traded to Boston. I mean, I don't know how you're so shocked. But if if they did that solely because they didn't want him to compete with LeBron on Cleveland, and you're willing to take a lesser deal for that reason, like that's cutting off your nose despite your face. Like I just I don't understand that. But
1: that's Indiana though in this situation. Uh, one of the things I'm always curious about, and this is a good question to ask both of you because you you've rooted for this team for a long time. Like this idea that Indiana is a no rebuild market, right? That they can't just bottom out. Like a lot of these teams, organizations. And, you know, perhaps that part of the logic for getting Oladipo is that he's actually a, a guy who you can play uh, now. And you wouldn't necessarily, if you took like a package of draft picks, like you'd be bottoming out. I mean, as people who root for the Pacers, like, is there anything to that? Like, that they're just like a no bottom out market? I mean, they, I can't even remember the last time they were in the high lottery.
2: I have a thought on that, and I, it's an unpopular opinion, but I do kind of believe that, that they shouldn't totally bottom out because know that you know they can they can build back up that way so if they can't really bottom out and if you somehow need to keep this going why was kevin love so bad to take on like i get kevin that's the other question i get kevin love's issues i get all of that but like it he's still really really good and so why was why was swapping for kevin love like such an absolute no for them I mean, because now well, you how, just have Oladipo. How many extra
1: wins does Kevin Love get you as opposed to Victor Oladipo?
2: Well, well, now I'm looking at the East, and the East is, com- I think, is I depleted. Mean, if- so he's going to get me. Then.
1: <laughs> he can make the playoffs.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think with Kevin Love, I mean, my complaint with Kevin Love is that if you would have got him and if – I mean, they kept telling us that Jeff Teague wanted to be with Indiana and they wanted people that wanted to be here. So if they would have re signed Jeff Teague and then you have Kevin Love, like that pick and roll defense is going to be fairly abysmal. Like Kevin Love improved in that area to some extent, but that's because he was playing on a contender. And Indiana's defense had already fallen off last season. And if you take Paul George out of that equation and you add Kevin Love into it, I don't see how they're going to score enough points to compensate for how bad the defense is going to be. However, on the flip side, I probably would have taken Kevin Love over what they just got for the simple fact that I think you could have flipped him for different assets later on next season. I mean, that's an angle that I don't think people have talked about that much.
0: Yeah, also just like the fact that we can't – I think that's what decouple is the word, but like who Kevin Love is when he's not playing with LeBron, that somehow he's been this diminished NBA player with very specific, unique skill sets, but that he can't do anything else. But that's just because that's what his role has been. In a different team, also from a leadership standpoint, professionalism, all those things that matter when you have a young team who's being led by Lance Stevenson, um, <laughs> that that could potentially help. Um, I think that Kevin Love was a little bit undervalued in this. And I think your point about flipping him makes, makes sense as well. There's probably a
1: contender who might like a guy like Kevin Love at the right time for the right price. What if Boston didn't get Hayward, for example? That's a good point. Or, I mean, Denver still might be there if they don't get Paul Millsap.
0: Isn't, isn't that happening?
1: Well, it is, but yeah. I'm saying like oh, if, you, if yeah. they hadn't gotten yes, Paul Millsap, yes, yes. that could have still been there. I think people are worried about Love's knees. Yeah. Like, there's like an injury concern and there. Back his lower back. So yeah, I think that would be the only reason. But, yeah, it's not like that package would have been any worse than what they got. So, okay, like play GM for a second. Next two to three years, what do you want to see the Pacers do?
3: In the immediate, I think they need to evaluate all three mo- all the moves that they're making through three lenses. Like, number one, is it cost effective? Number two, is this person replaceable? And number three, how do you impact Miles Turner's development? And that's partially that's why I don't understand why we just signed Darren Cullison. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say we, why they just signed Darren Cullison, because he's 30, and it's only a two-year deal, but there was also rumored interest that they were thinking about swapping or absorbing Corey Joseph's salary, and at least with Corey Joseph, he had a player option in 2018-19, so you know he's coming back off the books. And his defense over Darren Collison's, I would rather have for the simple fact that I don't really want Miles Turner hedging 30 feet from the basket. And his defense already needs to take the next step forward. So if you can have a guy like Corey Joseph playing point and trying to, you know, fight over some of those screens, maybe you can go back to having Miles Turner drop back in the paint. And both of those players are going to be effective at just dribbling the ball up the court and being able to get it to him. I mean, Darren Collison's improved as a shooter, so maybe you can... You know, punch up the ball like he did with Boogie Cousins in Sacramento, and relocate to the corner. I don't know, but I mean, I don't really see Darren Cullison as a particularly goodwill move with the Pacers. I mean, I'm not going to go that far down the domestic abuse Mm -hmm. rabbit hole, but just all the way around, I don't really, I just don't really like that addition, and I don't really understand it. But
1: Winnie, next two or three years, what do you want to see from Kevin Pritchard?
2: Uh, I want to see him put together a lineup that is a little more cohesive than what we've seen in the past. Um, we've had a lot of mis- mixed messages with with Larry in terms of what the team is trying to do versus the players that he is signing. So, you know, what I'd like to see from Kevin is a, a vision that the players he's signing aligns with. Um, and, and I'm not totally sure what those signings are. Uh, I don't I don't have that vision in my head, but I hope that he he does. Um, but I, I just would like to see some stuff make sense. I feel like we've been in two or three years of of not making a whole lot of sense. And, uh, it's frustrating, especially when it results in your, your franchise player walking out the door. So, um, some cohesiveness would be nice.
1: Cohesiveness and moves that make sense. I can get behind that. Um, Because you're right. Those have been short supply in Indiana. It's pretty pie in the sky stuff. Yeah. Wow. How could you possibly want that? It's
2: like, (laughs) I know that it's like super vague, but it's like the total opposite of what Indiana has done uh, to try and save Paul. They've said they were doing one thing and their actions have not matched any of that. So, you know, whether that was because they literally weren't able, um, it's all they could do, I'm not sure. But um, it just, it's been confusion I feel like and and not a lot of happiness with the move so even if you know you're not signing you're not in the market for Gordon Hayward and and you know the top free agents I get that and I think most Pacers fans do it's it's the other things what else can they do with with what's available
1: well, I think that's definitely a smart idea. I think no more Monte Ellis signings. Maybe no more George Hill for Jeff Teague trades. No more Al Jefferson. I don't think that's too much to ask from the GM. And it is a new GM, so maybe you won't get that. But anyway, this was terrific. I, Kalen Cooper, Whitney Medworth, thank you so much for – talking about Paul George again. I'm sure you all are tired about talking about Paul George. I don't think we're going to make you do it anymore, except maybe on the Pacers Season Preview Podcast. We'll see. Um, but thanks thanks for joining us. Uh, you can check uh, Kaylin out at Indie Cornrows. And Kaylin, what's your Twitter account? At C2 underscore Cooper. There it is. And Whitney is at its underscore Whitney. And you can read her on espnation.com and the SBNation uh, SB NBA Twitter account. So... Thanks, y'all, and uh, until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.